signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Today, not about new Star Trek, about media that has been influenced by Star Trek. I mean, we, we did the the SNL parodies of Star Trek. Would this be a mm-hmm. scarity of Star Trek? It would. It really would. It's that and nothing else. There's no other way to describe it besides that. Some people saw this as like a, a send-up of Star Trek in a bad way, like a thing that makes fun of Star Trek and Star Trek culture. But Ben, you and I both know uh, we both assume positive intent yeah. in all ways, at all times. And Charlie Brooker, the creator of the show, said definitively uh, he loves Star Trek. This was an homage well, I mean, we're we're also no strangers to the phenomenon of making a joke that has to do with Star Trek being interpreted in some quarters as being an unacceptable criticism of Star Trek. Like, there are people that don't like that, and uh, they don't have to listen to the show. They don't have to watch Black Mirror. I, for example, don't like being a scared, and I didn't want to watch Black Mirror, but I did it anyways, because it's my job. <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, uh, how this went over for you. Like, no one's asking you to watch the entire series of Black Mirror, yeah. which I will say is is alternately scary and horrifying, but also a very important third, uh, invigorating and interesting yeah. and uh, incredible in a lot of ways. I think there is a... There is a sweet corresponding to the sour on this show that is especially strong, and it's not for everyone. Yeah. I, uh, well, I do love a sweet and sour sauce, so it's possible based on this one uh, experience that I would enjoy other episodes of the show. You're such a bigger buffet sci-fi consumer than I am. Like I'm, I'm almost exclusively Star Trek and you really enjoy, uh, a little bit of the blue and a little bit of the yellow (laughs) on your plate. Like as you, as you walk through the buffet line of sci-fi, I would have expected you to be really into black mirror before this. Yeah. It's that I'm, I I really do get freaked out by scary things and mm-hmm. like I don't ride roller coasters I think for the same reason like I understand that it's a real thrill for some people but my experience is just like total terror and and yeah. like the the waiting in line for it being maybe the worst part in many ways shit man we're never going to go to Disneyland together huh Disneyland I can do so there's not a there's not a ride too scary for you at Disneyland Oh, for sure there are. And like... Um, what is one of those rides? Well, so like I, did, I was very excited about going on Star Tours when I was a kid, when we went to Disneyland. But Star Tours was the one that was like a, like you're in a shuttle, like flying around the Star Wars universe. And right. I did not know that there was going to be a big dip in that. And the dips, I hate. So. Hang on, like, I wouldn't wait in line for Splash Mountain because I was like, first of all, racist. Second of all, 
Uh, I could see that log flume, and I don't. I know I'm not down for that part of the ride. The thing you need to know about me, the thing you probably already know, is I love a log ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that my level of dread going into this episode was, like, less bad than it might have been if, you know, like, I went to see uh, The Exorcist in theaters when it was uh, remastered and yeah, re-released. this is not that. And, and yeah, and, I, and, like, people told me it's the scariest movie ever made, and so, like, the week leading up to it, I knew I was going to go see it, and I was, like, on pins and needles the entire time. And this, I knew, was not going to be, like, my genre cup of tea but i also didn't have any reason to think that i was going to be like completely scared out of my socks yeah like the week before your ticket to midsummer like (laughs) you're wondering like you don't want it spoiled but your mind is really working yeah i don't i don't miss that feeling because i've never had that feeling (laughs) there is something very special about consuming something in a communal fashion like seeing both midsummer and hereditary in a movie theater was were incredible experiences to me but not pleasant i would say (laughs) yeah well i mean like seeing a comedy in a movie theater is incredible because you have that those are two sides of the same coin i think yeah like you're feeding off of the emotions of your fellow moviegoers in and and I, i think also maybe something like this episode is dulled a little bit by the experience of watching it by myself in at like 10 a.m you know (laughs) which is which is how this went down for me what you want to do is wake and black mirror if you can (laughs) really sets the tone for the rest of the day (laughs) it sure does uh do you want to get into this episode adam yeah, let's let's go and do that. Maybe the only Black Mirror episode we'll do on Greatest Discovery, but maybe not. Yeah. It is called USS Callister. So we open it right in our send up of Star Trek. And it's really nicely done. The it's like the bad ship models and the very like film effects overlays like it's there's an instagram filter on this not only on the visuals but also on the audio and i really appreciated that like the way they mic'd the actors on this set really made me feel like i was watching something that was genuinely shot in the 60s if that's valid he'll rip us to shreds i would say that the only place it went wrong was the costumes didn't really feel like 60s costumes hmm you're describing a quality aspect to this that that can go in a couple of different directions right like if you really lean in to 60s shabby yeah then you get an snl sketch quality to the thing where what is apparent here is a fit and finish and budget yeah that has been dumped onto an episode that really gives a look and feel and a polish to the thing that does not distract in a negative way I read that the season of TV that this came from, I guess this is season four of Black Mirror, they had 40 million bucks for the whole season. And it feels like half of it is in this episode. I don't, I haven't watched any of the others. Uh, It will surprise no one to learn, but like, I can't believe how great this looks. It's a massive budget by, by even modern measure. But when I was reading about the production of this episode, they were still constrained 
by the challenges of production here. Many of the scenes were one and move on. Wow. A couple of the scenes were were improvised. Like they had to make their day every day because I think the so much of the budget went toward effects yeah. and and set building and stuff. But I don't think in watching this episode you would ever know that that they got one or two takes before moving on of most scenes. And in some in some cases only one take. This is an episode that takes a long time to kind of reveal itself of uh, what it's what it's going to be about and who it's going to be about and the nature of the parody at the beginning here was hard to put my finger on like the there is a style to the acting that feels funny in a way that is like a little bit you know it's not it's not jokey but it's not it's not insincere and it's hard to understand why it is the way it is and then and like why the characters are doing the things they do like captain kirk never just orders somebody to summarily destroy an enemy vessel and then doesn't care that the bad guy got away in a in a shuttlecraft but that's that's what happens here so they're like what is this going to be about I think it comes down to casting yeah. in an interesting way. I think Jesse Plemons has a extremely unique quality about him that you can't pin him down. Like the the difficulty you had in pinning down the tone of the thing, I think is due mostly to Jesse Plemons's greatness. Yeah. In that and that there's something kind of unknowable about his portrayal of a lot of characters and a lot of movies and television shows that are qualities that are desirable for your actors to make the viewer feel uncomfortable or or question a character's motivations at all times. Yeah. This is something that Jesse Plemons constantly does. I thought you didn't want to try medical marijuana. And it's one of the qualities about him that I think makes him great. I think makes him like a young Philip Seymour Hoffman in my eyes. Like like a master of this kind of unknowability. It's his performance coupled with great writing because because mm-hmm. when when like Jimmy Simpson gets down on his knees and like thanks the captain you know like jimmy simpson is kind of like the first officer on this ship and he's like like supplicating himself please forgive me and then the captain grabs uh michaela cole the the uhura analog and and lays a kiss on her and we're like what is happening here like what is this a joke about because it's it feels like a mean dunk on star trek at that point like in a way that is is hard to understand. And it is a smash cut to Jesse Plemons just as a normal dude getting off of an elevator in a tech company lobby and seeming like a nobody at the company. There's there's so much misdirection in how they set his yeah. character up in this in this second scene. He comes off the lobby, off the elevator, and like the receptionist has to buzz him into his own company because, as far as we know, he's just like a low guy on the totem pole who didn't get the right key card. It's so interesting the choice that this episode, and I think the series a lot of times, tends to make in setting up the difference between power and respect or power and popularity. Yeah. Because 
Daly is powerful, but he's not cool. And the fact that he isn't cool makes him not respected at a company that he helped build. Yeah. When I was making videos for Engadget.com, I went uh, a couple of times to events for Oculus, the VR headset mm-hmm. company, which is now part of Facebook, but at that time was right. a plucky like Kickstarter funded startup. And I met uh, Palmer Lucky a bunch of times in uh, over the course of uh, like a year and a half. And he's the like whiz kid. Just to jump in here, Palmer Lucky is what I call my my time by myself. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a very uh, strange dude. Like he never wears shoes. Like I like at their offices and like a at like a special event in Las Vegas, no shoes. And he really like portrays himself as this like boy genius that is like. I don't know. I, like he he was like unmasked as a Trumper, like white nationalist psycho that was like spending a lot of his tech billions on funding uh, really execrable right wing causes later on. Mm-hmm. And it like it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, yeah, he did like talk about brag about being a member of the PC master race one time in my presence. And I was like, master Uh-oh. race is not really a thing that normal people toss around as a fun way of describing themselves, but he did. There is that that hum in the background of this episode of like techno bro, toxic startup culture bullshit well, running. Like, and what I was like, going to say is like this company feels so much like the Oculus offices that I visited when I did that. Like the weird layout the weird interactions that people are having like the weird like he uh, uh jesse plemons has like a uh, an interaction with uh, a black employee where he like asks him to make him a coffee that feels so squicky when it happens Just vanilla latte skim milk yeah good call <clears throat> it took on a different dimension to me when he walks through the chief technology officer door and i'm like oh he's like the boss and he's asking the intern to get him coffee but like initially i was like these two dudes are co-workers and he's like he's like almost like asserting some kind of weird dominance over this other his his co-worker in a way that felt like weird and uncomfortable and i think it's intentional the reason that i didn't see racism coded in walton's treatment of that person W slash R slash T wanting a coffee is that Jimmy Simpson's character treats everyone like shit in this office. Like, here's a tip. If you bring a guitar to the office, <laughs> you've made a bad decision. Yeah. And and your office isn't at Gibson World Headquarters or whatever. <laughs> you've done a bad thing. I feel like there's a lot of lighting and compositional choices happening here that just makes everything feel cold and damp and like oppressive for the daily character. Like like he's walking through this office and all of the color, like the color palette is muted even. Like there's not a lot of color to the clothing or anything inside this place. It just feels like a very sad place to work, if you're him especially. 
Yeah, it, they've gone for cool and chic and modern, and what they've achieved is dystopian and bleak. Right. Oh, and we should say, like, all of the people in this office are people whose faces we've seen in the Star Trek parody. Uh, one, one person who was not in the episode that we saw in the cold open is Kristen Miliati's character, who is... Nanette Cole. And she is different because she is excited to be there. And she is excited to meet Robert Daly, a person that she holds in very high regard as uh, as like a, a creator of a great thing. Yeah, she admires the the coding that he's done. She's she's a software engineer who is here to, you know, this is her first day on the job and she is like poking her head into to tell him how much his work means to her. And um, this is this kind of feels like it's a meet cute, right? Like he, at this point, feels like the main character of the episode to us. And it maybe is going to be about him abandoning this boyhood fantasy world that he, it, you know, like he's got all the VHSs of Space Fleet on his shelves. And it's like, wow, like, can he put away childish things and talk to this woman? <laughs> Just what a Barkradian Sandborier would say. I'm looking around my studio and seeing all of the childish things yeah. and going like, it me, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Like, You're looking at me through the video with the four foot long Star Destroyer Lego kit on the shelf behind me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, like there's some familiarity here. Uh, maybe this is where the familiarity begins and ends. Yeah. Which is, with, is with Daly's enthusiasm for this old sci-fi series, but it's the thing that makes him comfortable, right? This workplace is extremely uncomfortable for him, so he surrounds himself with uh, the trinkets of the thing that he loves. You start to wonder why so uncomfortable for him, because like he gets a knock on the door from his business partner, Walton, Jimmy Simpson, who plays his, his uh, first officer in the Star Trek parody, and Walton is the CEO of the company and he's riding Robert Daly for getting the update to the video game that they make out in by the end of the week or something. You know, it's a real like time crunch CEO kind of thing. And, you know, he immediately notices Nanette Cole and sits down on Daly's desk and starts like kind of kicking it to her in a way that feels a little grody and uncomfortable. The sitting on someone else's desk is such a visceral post-traumatic office <laughs> feeling that I that I got from working back in a in a corporate space like, oh, shit, like, do not sit on my desk. Yeah. Like that is that is a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. Like, I'd rather someone dump their coffee on my desk than sit on it while I'm working there. <laughs> well, their butt hasn't been touching their coffee, presumably. What Callister, the company, makes is a game called Infinity. It's kind of an open-world science fiction video game. It's No Man's Sky, I think. Like I'm playing yeah. a lot of No Man's Sky right now, and the way they talk about what it's like to play the game is very similar, except for... This is a kind of VR where you put a pip on the side of your head and it gives you Geordie eyes and you yeah. are in it. Like you believe you are in it. What Daly's done is reskinned his game into a space fleet type of game. 
So while everyone else is playing Infinity, this glossy J.J. Abrams version of Star Trek, what Daly's playing is like classic Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, on the on the engine that his company makes. And he's not just playing a different version of the game. He's also populated it with characters from his real life that are like it's kind of a Lieutenant Barkley thing where he's got yeah. all of his uh familiar faces loaded into the game so that he can kind of boss them around and humiliate them for his own amusement. You get out of my life. Like what's so interesting about your Barkley comparison is that with Barkley there was no need for him to steal a thing to create the program that he did. And it's odd how much more horrifying Daly's crimes are for his need to take someone's DNA in order to compile it with his computer yeah. and insert it into the game. Like the steps required to do what he's done are so much more creepily thoughtful that that daily really turns into a monster in fairly short order once you learn what it took for him to to create this world. That's like I wrote the note like when he's scanning the coffee lid I wrote, "Oh, he is creepier than Barkley." The only thing worse than keeping an electric guitar in your office is keeping a drawer full of rubber gloves and plastic bags <laughs> so that you can collect <laughs> sterile samples at your workplace. That's the only thing worse than that. Yeah. Well, and I wrote that note not even having seen the rest of the episode where the real, like, depths of the depravity of this are is revealed. Like, yeah. like this is him playing a game as Kirk, as omnipotent psychopath, and and this, this next time he loads into the game, we see it in, like, the full two, three, five to one aspect ratio. They've taken off all of the, uh, you know, old timey film effects and audio effects. And it's, it's a real, like it, it really shows how much of a, a, like a, a sadistic power fantasy this is because he is he's bossing these characters around he's like putting his feet up on walton's back like it's an ottoman i feel like i read about that in real life there was a there was a startup where where interns were being used as human ottomans Man. somewhere like there was something familiar about that scene that was that was awful yeah i mean i believe it like these some of these companies people get really like you know, where people go from being like college kids to billionaires over the course of three years. When I was in my mid twenties, I, I, you know, I had zero money, but I also don't think that I had the like moral development to wield the kind of power that a billionaire has. I like that this episode is structured in such a way where like we get hit pretty hard, pretty early with dailies issues but we're right into walton's issues almost concurrently and that scene at the coffee bar in the in the office where nanette and shania are talking about walton like is something that illuminates that like 
Nanette's happy to be there because she's coming from a, a workplace environment that was shitty. And Shania is like, yeah, I mean, but they're all shitty. Yeah. Even this one. And here's why. Chuck a ham sandwich across the room, motherfucker, before it hits the ground. But he, he's basically an all right bloke. I think it makes the case against most corporate workplaces not that this is an outlier in any way yeah walton is a little handsy and they're having this kind of this kind of like soto voce conversation about walton versus daily like at least walton you know what he's up to but like they're both creeped out by daily because he is scary well it's the difference between like the creep that you can observe and the creep that operates in secret exactly and like you could you can see a shift like daily overhears this conversation and you can see a shift in the way Nanette acts around him when she brings him the coffee that she has offered and I, I feel like that's where he finds his motivation to do what he does to her this episode isn't an indictment of just two male people in power in a workplace it is also about like culture in such a way that like how you talk about people behind their back is a large part of what makes up the culture of a group of friends yeah. or the culture in a workplace. And when you see this conversation happen at the coffee pot, like you understand, like most conversations at a workplace occur behind the backs of the people they're talking about. And if all of the conversations sound like this in your workplace, yeah. <laughs> like odds are it's a shitty place to work or it's filled with people that you need to watch your back around, which is no place you want to be if you can help it. I was thinking about it from Nanette's perspective. What if this was a conversation you had at the coffee machine on your second day of work at a new job? It would be yeah. really really upsetting like she's she's there saying like boy so glad i'm out of my old old work environment which was terrible and this is what she's being told like you don't know the workplace that she came from so you aren't sure the trauma she's endured previously but that she's kind of low-key okay with what she's seeing and experiencing here paints the picture that her previous workplace must have been a total rat fuck you <laughs> yeah. know like to make this one be better what is left unsaid is that at her previous workplace they uh they scanned her dna and got her stuck in an episode of dr quinn medicine woman uh, would you and matthew prepare a tub for me i would like to have a warm bath this morning the quickness with which daily moves to get the rubber gloves on and the plastic bag out to go get nanette's coffee cup dna is like part of the creep factor that that really heightens the whole thing. Yeah. And so when he begins processing her DNA for uh, importation into the game, this, this other aspect to this episode becomes apparent, which is like, how often do sociopaths treat the real people in their lives as if they're just characters in their personal movies? You know? Yeah. The way that Daly treats these people in the game, you don't need a game to see how fucked up it is. You, you see this in, in human behavior in real life. It is a terrible feeling to realize that somebody that you've been interacting with does not really care about you after a certain point. Right. After it stops serving their needs, basically. I love the scene where Nanette wakes up in the game because 
the efficiency of the story moving forward. I feel like in less than a minute, we're given so much information about how this world works. Yeah. Because when Nanette wakes up, she wakes up as Nanette Prime in this simulation. I can't be the clone, I'm me. She's She has all her own memories, she has all her own curiosities, she's wondering where the hell she is, and why she's seeing all the people from the office in this new place. And it's part of what horrifies. Yeah. It's that she's not just a blank person that's just skin in a simulation. Like, she's actually her. It's got a bit of similarity to like, the fresh fish new prisoner Mm -hmm. moment in a movie where when she comes out onto the bridge in her miniskirt and go-go boots half the characters are like what's going on in the outside world like Mm -hmm. the Shania character is is the like emotional intelligence person that is trying to like ease her into this new horrifying reality the Walton character is just saying like rip the band-aid off don't don't slow roll this like mm-hmm. let her absorb this horror as fast as possible also drink this shot of vodka <laughs> or this like booger <laughs> yeah. the fact that we spend so much time in the game from here on in is why they the fit and finish on these sets is is the way it is like i feel like if they had gone full 60s in that opening in that cold open it it may have gotten boring to see all the like plywood sets but like yeah the the uniforms look great the sets look amazing you feel like you're on a spaceship here from here on out i feel like this episode I mean, there are a lot of comparisons between this episode and like your standard issue Barkley episode where he's made holographic figures of of the bridge crew inside the holodeck. And I think one of the one of the qualities that terrifies is that on Barkley's simulation, like none of the bridge crew were themselves. Yeah. They were programmed to be a certain way. And so that we have versions of real life people stuck in this universe is horrifying. But also, there's a yin and a yang to it, right? Because in the TNG universe, those characters were sexualized, but they weren't themselves. Yeah. And in this universe, they are desexualized, but they are themselves. And that tension is so interesting when you're talking about the torture of a person. And I think this episode is about torture in a lot of ways. And the primary thrust of what tortures in a Black Mirror episode is not just gore or violence or any of the other things that that tend to traumatize in a horror film. It's time. Time in a Black Mirror episode is used as punishment more often than not. And when Cole turns Nanette into the skin face as a form of torture, and he emphasizes the idea that I can make you stay like this for an indefinite period of time. That's the true terror of this. It's it's less that something awful has happened to her, it's that it could be an unending amount of it to me. And that's the thing that makes my skin crawl thinking yeah. about it. It shows the depth of his depravity, finally. Like, and And it's amazing that it takes... I don't know. I think we're like halfway through the episode when we when we start to understand just just how horrifying this is. And it's like 
the fact that they got another level deep on how horrifying he is after the stealing the coffee cup after the after all of the other stuff like it's sickening that he would be willing to put them through that but it also like really reminds me of the like i mean like we're in uh season one of voyager right now on our smash hit star trek podcast the greatest generation and there are characters that treat the doctor as not a real person and the captain needs to be talked into it at one point right and that's exactly the counterpoint i was going to make like not to play devil's advocate here but like the daily character is treating these people as simulations because they are they are simulations it's weird to think that a power outage could be their salvation in this situation This episode could be four hours long if it drew a comparison between the characters on Jesse Plemons's air-gapped Star Trek simulation and the characters that inhabit the open-world version of the video game that they've made. Like, (laughs) are they all equivalent in terms of their their quote-unquote humanity or sentience or whatever in their yeah that's what i'm saying like i think this episode is right to not go there because it's just a much bigger yeah that's question the smartest thing about the writing of this episode is that the all of the npcs even the crazy spider monster is a person from the office Right. It would just be too much if there were other, you know, if there were other crew on the ship or if there were, you know, anybody else inhabiting this world that weren't a person from the office. Nanette, as the new character to this thing, still has the the hope of someone who wants to escape. Yeah. Everyone else inside the simulation seems to have been ground down into a hopelessness into a subservience for the Robert Daly character. But Nanette comes up with an idea to send a message to the outside, to Nanette Prime. Uh, but this is a plan that does not work as intended. And when she's caught, there is hell to pay. And this is like one of... like Black Mirror does such a good job in, in playing with your expectations because you expect... Nanette to be punished you even expect Shania to be punished for for like stepping in front of the bullet for Nanette but what the punishment ends up being is is horrifying in a way that is very unexpected yeah and funny too like there's <laughs> there's more fun to this episode and and like intentional comedy here than in most Black Mirror episodes like there's a alien expression to these monsters yeah. that is very human this this monster that Shania has turned into bumps its head on the door leaving <laughs> leaving the bridge and is and like shakes its head and they oh what the fuck like and a greater indignity than being turned into a monster is like yeah. not being able to navigate a world that you used to be able to that reminded me of the stormtrooper hitting his hitting his helmet on the on the way out in the Death Star or whatever. (laughs) I also think, like, even just the, like, Jesse Plemons, like, reaching his hand out, like, I'm going to, you know, put God's wrath on you. It's it's very funny. Like, it's it's very funny to project these characters onto the Star Trek characters that they are parodies of. Like, what if Kirk ever did that? (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, Guinan did it. Yeah. And it was something that John Delancey made fun of yeah. in that scene, you know? But like, like, I think that the thing that's so interesting about Robert Daly as a guy who fantasizes about visiting this world, if Space Fleet is Star Trek, he's not doing it right, you know? Yeah. He didn't get the message. It's like Ted Cruz being a big fan of Star Trek. It's like, what the fuck did you think you were watching, man? It was socialism. That was the, like the, the whole thing for, for them was socialism post scarcity and not fucking people over because they're different from you. Yeah. So little of Star Trek is about revenge and so much of daily simulation is about that. Right. You know, we've talked a lot about like Gene Roddenberry being a very imperfect messenger for the thing that he was trying to do with Star Trek. But uh, I thought it would have been interesting if there had been like a Roddenberry type historical figure in this to to cite. And right. maybe he'd like, like, I like the, you know, <laughs> the way the real guy was more than the show or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in a like, don't look behind the curtain kind of way. Right. There's an interesting, like, in-game logic to the problems and their solutions here. Because mm -hmm. when the software is is patched, like, this appears as an in-world situation. Like, there's a space butthole out there, and all of the characters in the simulation that aren't Robert Daly see it as a possible way out. Can they exploit the patch as a... Because like in the logic of the episode, the big problem with the simulation is that it's not connected to the internet, but in order to patch the software, it obviously has to be. Right. So what if we could use the patch as a way to get out and escape from this, this prison that we're in? It's like an episode of Reboot and there's a, a game incoming to mainframe city and they got to get out from under it or get into it depending on what the logic of the episode demands. Warning, incoming game. Krista Miliati's character looks at this space butthole and she's like, what if I could blackmail myself in real life <laughs> into helping us out here? And she gets to work on a plan to exploit herself by using photographs that she has on a cloud server in order to get real life Nanette Cole to, to obey her yeah. and help them out. <laughs> this is a plan that the Walton character is not interested in participating in. And this is a, I think one of the great scenes in the episode Yeah, is Walton explaining why he's reluctant to be a part of this. He's, he's the hostage that has had his family used against him. I thought, I thought initially when he starts talking about it, that it was going to be more of a critique of CEO culture. Like, Oh, this guy mm -hmm. is the, big swinging dick of his multi-million dollar enterprise but when the rubber meets the road and he doesn't have his investors and his you know bubble of confidence around him he's kind of a gutless coward and mm -hmm. in, instead it's about him having like been subjected to like the gravest indignities by Robert Daly and the depiction of this was like probably the scariest part of the episode for me. I mean, go, the going out an airlock thing is a joke that we talk about all the time and definitely something that I would love to depict as a as a performer. But seeing a, a kid go out an airlock was tough. 
this is another example that emphasizes uh, that time is the horrible weapon in Black Mirror more than any other thing. Because what Walden says is not just how terrible it was to watch a son blown out an airlock, is that it's that death isn't permanent and his son can be brought back and blown out an airlock over and over again if that's what Jesse Plemons' character wants to do. And the same goes for all of them. Like, you can't die here. Yeah. And they all have people that they miss on the outside. And they, like, like the first thing that some of them ask her when she shows up is like, what year is it? Like, what's going on out there? Yeah. Did you get a good grasp of how long they had been in the simulation? Because I wish they were a little more explicit about that. They don't say, as far as I remember, and I agree, like, it would have been... It would have been interesting to know, like, oh, this this guy was in here six years, and then some of these other people showed up or whatever. There is an episode of Black Mirror where John Hamm sentences someone to solitary confinement as a punishment, and and the function in the show is like, I can I can instantly make it as though you've served ten years of solitary confinement, like that. Wow. And then in that same scene, the person rematerializes as someone who has just been through that and is immediately like cowed and hmm. having been tortured by that. Do they reappear as Columini with a huge beard and super long hair? <laughs> no, but it's very apparent how awful the experience has been. And so like having seen that scene in another episode, you're just aware of how possible it is to experience time in, in that very Black Mirror kind of way. <laughs> so like when Walton described the repetition of this being possible forever and ever, like that's when like the real blackness of the Black Mirror is apparent to me. Yeah. The, the problem that he's citing is that there is a mini fridge under Daly's desk at home with... DNA samples for all of them in it and unless they can take those off the board all he has to do is scan them again and start the program up like the that's there's a physical backup issue that they need to deal with and uh, they can crash the ship into the update and uh, and have have the have the mod wiped clean but he can always rebuild so the the blackmail takes on the dimension of we need real life Nanette Cole to be able to sneak into Daly's apartment and get these samples. <laughs> Maybe the silliest part of the episode is the real world Nanette Cole like swinging almost Spider-Man like onto the uh, third or fourth yeah. floor balcony outside Robert Daly's it's apartment. It's unclear how, how she gets there. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked that. But th there's like a concurrent pair of scenes that go like Nanette Cole in the simulation distracting the Daly simulation with the with the away team swimming pool scene. Yeah. And then that that Nanette Cole Prime like ordering a pizza, sneaking into the apartment, taking the, the, the DNA contraband from the mini fridge. It's it's really heightened. The the tension is great, I think. Yeah. I have to say the uh when she jumps in the lake in the away mission with Captain Daly 
was when it hit me that the other thing I've seen Kristen Milioti in was Palm Springs. I was like, oh, that's yeah. where she's from, because it looks like Palm Springs. <laughs> I really like Palm Springs. That was a fun movie. That was a great movie. The story moves so quickly, I think, in an intentional way to, to prevent you from asking a question like I'm about to ask, which is, <laughs> what is stopping Robert Daly from just taking more DNA later if this DNA is taken out of his mini fridge at this point? There is nothing stopping him. Yeah. But pace is really useful here because like, you want to you wanna keep someone like me from asking those questions by just moving the plot forward. I think that, yeah, but I also think that that kind of is present a little bit in the end because like we can we can move through this pretty quickly like she distracts him long enough to have like real world nanette steal the dna samples and the crew back aboard the ship to beam game nanette up so that they can fly toward the space butthole and then there's this like compression of time thing they have to you know it's like fly around the asteroid belt or fly through it and there's a risk to the ship if they fly through it but uh they 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 make it you know and when they're through captain daly is stuck in the shuttle in his modded game and can't get out can't go anywhere can't even end the game and gets this like i guess he dies out there but like the the technology still exists and also like the real world doesn't know about it so the thing that's so like perverse about them like feeling like they've got this triumphant win is that the that like this sickening possibility impregnated in that you're totally right in your description of the feeling at the end because it doesn't feel good to like winning at the end of this episode comes at the cost of the torture of Robert Daly yeah. which doesn't feel great no you know like like we're happy that that Nanette and the rest of the office have survived I guess as simulated characters and can go off and play the game in perpetuity I guess that's cool but like the comeuppance of the Robert Daly having been a dick to the pizza guy who's probably the only person who could jump in later and say there may be something wrong with the guy in that apartment, but because his do not disturb is set on his door is clearly going to end up dying of starvation or dehydration right. in his office chair. Like there's, there are no tidy endings to this, to this morality play. And that's like one of the things that cuts against Black Mirror for a lot of people is that the conclusion to most episodes is unclean and uh, tends not to satisfy in that way. Yeah. No catharsis here. Um, there's a, a little like bit with the with the button, which is that they've they sort of thought that what they were heading for with this space butthole was just to be zeroed out but what in fact has happened yeah. is that they found themselves in the cloud in the production version of the game and they have a spaceship and they can go wherever they want in this procedurally generated universe but what that means practically is that they have to interact with gamers and they uh they get hailed by another ship and uh gamer 691 as voiced by aaron paul is 
a a total like online douche to them because they don't have anything to trade. Get the hell out of my quadrant or I'll blast you to shit. I feel like there is an epilogue scene to this episode that we never get, which has to do with the sentience, the question of sentience of these characters. Yeah. Like, if Nanette Cole Prime plays the game created by the workplace that she's at, what happens when she runs into herself? Yeah. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Do the video game versions of these of these real life characters, do they want to keep living? Like the the feeling at the end of the episode is is one of optimism. Like mm-hmm. they're free finally. But it's a bit like Star Trek Voyager, right? Like they're they're stranded. This episode really benefits from the vagueness of what the technological capabilities of this game really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what that pip is, like what it's accessing in your mind. We don't know what the servers are capable of. We don't know what any of the like technology in the rest of the world is like because this is so zoomed in on this one company and this one apartment, you know? I'll tell you there is a greater Black Mirror universe. Uh-huh being constructed out of the episodes like very few of the episodes meet up with each other in any constructive way though some of the technology aspects of the episodes pop in interesting repeatedly throughout and one of those pieces of technology is the temple pip oh interesting yeah fun yeah i i was wondering with some of the gadget props like there was like a pair of headphones that caught my eye in one scene and like the iPads and iPhones that are like perfect pieces of glass that don't have, you know, components yeah. on them uh, that I I wondered like, do, did they like special make these props for this episode? And if so, that's like a pretty high level of fit and finish for a one-off prop that you see for less than 10 seconds in a shot right. of an extra it's all really high spec stuff and i think a lot of it serves the like this is not science fiction of the distant future this is this is a black mirror universe that is supposed to be in the not so distant future at all like right. the right around the corner version of the future yeah i feel like in the top five things that are creepy about robert daly the getting home and tucking into a carton of non-fat chocolate milk is on that list <laughs> That's a good thing to bring up because like the infantilizing of a person's interest in science fiction or video games or or any number of other things. Like I know the creators of Black Mirror have have said constantly this is this is an homage. This is not making fun of Star Trek or Star Trek fan culture. Yeah. per se, but that is an aspect to this thing that that I think is specific enough to punch a little bit like like that that serves a childlike quality in robert daly a a failure to launch you know in spite of all of his his career success yeah you know like he still prefers strawberry milk who does that (laughs) there's a recent episode of the savage love podcast where dan savage talked about this new uh netflix film i care a lot Mm-hmm. that stars Rosamund Pike and um, Peter Dinklage. And um, 
he's talking about the fact that she her character is a a sociopath who happens to be a lesbian and she is kind of the main character of the film but is like a very hateable main character you don't like that she is doing what she is doing for most of the movie and he was talking about like the feeling of relief he had almost watching it because we can finally see lesbian characters being really evil in movies and not have it just be like another movie about an evil lesbian Mm. and the the way like the representation of LGBT characters has evolved over time where like we now have like a rich tapestry to to look at. It was interesting to hear him bring this movie up because the only reason it came onto my radar was that my mother-in-law is up in arms about this movie because the character is a conservator and my mother-in-law mm-hmm. is a conservator and she is like a huge hearted woman that cares so much about her clients, but this is about a conservator that is abusing her clients and using her power of attorney to evil ends. And like, and she is exactly like, she is exactly experiencing what LGBT people experienced for years, which was that the only representation of them in media was evil. (laughs) Your mother-in-law is one of my favorite people. And it, uh, I read about this and in variety, actually, she refused to watch the movie. Yeah. Because it, it didn't align with her personal values. <laughs> but like, I think that like the point I'm trying to make is that the daily character does feel in like he is in a tradition of depiction of Star Trek fans as creeps, as outsiders, as weirdos. And I don't think that that's a totally unfair complaint. Most Star Trek fans are normal people that have jobs and like, relationships and, and yeah. <laughs> you know we're we're good people we're not we're not scanning the dna of our co-workers i mean i am but most of us aren't i think that gets to the heart of this episode which is to me less about the specific homage to a science fiction franchise and more about uh corporate power and power structures yeah and how shitty those can be like this is jangly keys right like here's the star trek jangly keys right here but like the real shit is is toxic workplace culture yeah well we wouldn't know anything about that no did you like the episode ben i did like the episode i thought this was very fun you going to be a Black Mirror person now? You're going to watch the rest? You should watch San Junipero. If you're going to watch one other episode of Black Mirror, you got to see that. <laughs> okay. I promise you'll love it. I will take that under advisement. <laughs> it's not scary. I promise. I, I, I did really like this episode. I think that from an aesthetic standpoint alone, it's a really remarkable achievement and uh, from a storytelling standpoint, it's a really remarkable achievement. Like the the number of twists and turns, the number of this is not what I expected it to be uh, moments was so high. And having never watched a Black Mirror before, what I was expecting was an episode about just like people who are really in Star Trek and experiencing it as being as scary as it actually would be. And, yeah. you know, that was like a 
a weird specific expectation that I brought to this, but um, I think in some ways it it found a way to be that, but also so much more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we used to we used to talk about this a lot on the Hit War Movie Podcast, Friendly Fire, and and also on on Greatest Gen. Like like some of our favorite episodes or movies are are ostensibly about one thing, but they're really about another. Yeah. And that seems to be the the thematic ballpark that Black Mirror trades in the most. And yeah, I mean, I like Black Mirror, period. I think it's a it's a really interesting show. It's not an easy watch by any means. But I think you're going to watch one or two more episodes. And it's the third episode that's going to get you off the show. Like, <laughs> like I would say, watch San Junipero next, and then maybe you'll watch the the very first episode, and then you'll watch an episode after that, and you'll be like, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> but I think you have two more episodes in you wow. before you get off this train, and I don't think that you will regret that choice. I think Black Mirror is challenging in a way that I like TV to be challenging and uh, and not in just the like cheap horror kind of way like I know I know you approached Black Mirror and I don't like horror movies so I'm not going to like this kind of way this is not this is not a jump scare gore porn situation it's much more like theater of the mind shit that yeah. that I think would appeal to you ordinarily if you watch it in the daytime yeah 10 a.m. only <laughs> yeah everyone knows I drink coffee when I watch my Black Mirror <laughs> The greatest discovery merch soon to hit the store is the don't talk to me until I've watched my Black Mirror episode coffee mug. <laughs> Adam, you want to see if we have anything in the priority one inbox of this episode of the greatest discovery? There is nothing there that will terrorize us, Ben. <laughs> I promise you that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from the greatest Thanksgiving. Okay. And it is to Ben and Adam. That's you and me. The message goes like this. When it comes to quality, we've heard a lot about hair, neck, costumes, and maybe even acting, writing, and directing, but none of that matters. How do you rank the eight Star Trek TV show theme songs? New and old. Uh, as sort of a throwaway. Choosing Enterprise is a war crime, so I guess... I guess the theme to Star Trek Enterprise disqualified. Wow. Love the pod. Thanks for the laughs. So what we've got is our choices. Our uh, original series, animated series. I guess those are the same. Yeah, same. TNG DS9 Voyager Enterprise, which they threw out, but I guess is in this list. Discovery, Picard, and Lower Decks. Wow. I don't know that I could rank them, but I but I think I know which one is my favorite and my least favorite. What about you? Oh boy. I guess I mean TNG is my heart. That's going yeah. that's always going to be my favorite, I think, but it's also yeah. like used in one of the movies, so it doesn't quite feel like it's only TNG's theme to me. Mhm. But I really love that Voyager theme. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Voy- Voyager's a nap theme. It's too chill. I like that. I, I like putting on the Voyager theme and doing like a, a yoga session. Yeah, I was just going to say like uh, Voyager theme as meditation background <laughs> on a loop. That totally works. I got to say Dark Horse here. 
cart theme. Wow. Salad theme, I think. I was trying to remember it. It, it. it hasn't stuck with me quite as much. It's moody in a way I enjoy. Like, TNG, as you say, like, hard to dislodge that from the heart. Yeah. But, uh, modern Trek, doing some good themes, I think. My personal top three are TNG, Voyager, DS9, in that order. Wow. I'm going to go TNG, TOS, maybe Picard is third. Do you know the lyrics to the TOS theme? Yeah, I mean, I... I looked them up. That was th- those were the that was the shenanigans that uh, Roddenberry came up with in order to to make some money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good job, Gene. So uh, I I pr- I guess my second place song has lyrics. I was one time uh, riding in an Uber with Jesse Thorne, the uh, proprietor of MaximumFun.org, and Lee Unkrich, the uh, Pixar director and Jesse Thorne was telling Lee Unkrich about the the come up that Gene Roddenberry had in writing lyrics for the, the Star Trek the original series theme song and Lee Unkrich thought that was great how did the three of you fit in the back of a uh, Toyota Yaris I was in the front <laughs> of course you were I was, did, I, did I mention I was driving the Uber uh, <laughs> I just assumed. Uh, Adam, our next priority one message is from Jimmy Mack. And it is to Jimmy Mack. Goes like this. Hello, me, you magnificent son of a bitch. Good job on surviving and thriving in 2020. You are a resilient motherfucker. Keep living your life in a manner that would make Picard proud. Rockin' knuck and not giving a fuck. You are full of good boy behavior. Shout out to my fellow Australian friends of DeSoto. Rockin' knuck and not giving a fuck. God damn, Jimmy Mack is... Very fun. ...really fucking giving us a lot to chew on there. Yeah. The positive affirmation P1 is, is a new phenomenon that I'm really... I'm really here for. And it's not just to the greater viewership of the greatest generation. Like, these are people talking to themselves. Yeah. Like, Jimmy Mack is talking to Jimmy Mack. Uh, we've had we had future versions of people talking to present versions of people. Uh, I, think, I think it's necessary in these difficult times. Yeah. Right on, Jimmy Mack. Some positive self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're learning during your eight hours of therapy a week? It's something I'm working my way up toward is like, what if I didn't constantly self-criticize? What would that be like? What if your positive self-talk just made you come every time? (laughs) Oh boy. That'd be a problem. That would be something worth fighting for. Well, uh, you can fight for a Priority One message by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And uh, Priority One messages are important for the positive self-talk aspects that they provide. And uh, also in supporting the ongoing production of this show. So thank you. It's true. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner 
in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I did. Uh, I'm going to give my Edward Larkin to Valdak, the Billy Magnuson character, who's kind of the sort of the Khan Noonien Singh analog in the in the show. We didn't talk a ton about him, but he's kind of the he's the perpetual villain that uh, that the crew of the USS Callister are up against. And his Edward Larkin moment was in the away team mission where 
he's failed and he's like got his back on the ground and he kind of thinks he's got a way out. He he thinks he's solved his own problem and is going to receive some mercy from from the captain and uh, the thinking that he had any hope mistake that he made was uh, the thing that got him my Edward Larkin and and also the the Captain Daly throwing the like killing in cold blood is not the Space Force way <laughs> in his face when when he is the pettiest most revengey guy in the in the entire episode um so uh so he's my edward larkin how about you let me tell you something ben the edward larkin of the episode is robert daly wow but i can't make robert daly my edward larkin (laughs) it's too dark it's too dark even for me Mm. instead i'm gonna go outside the episode and give it to an actor i think Kristen miliotti's delivery of a couple of lines in this episode are examples of her breaking the wall of this show. Like part of the hypnosis of going into the simulation of this of the Star Trek is how self-serious everyone is and in, in doing their duty and 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 like working their stations and whatever. But there are a couple of moments in this episode where the Nanette Cole character basically turns to camera and is like that scene where everyone's pulling down their pants and and showing their <laughs> their their Ken and Barbie doll genitals to each other <laughs> like when when she says my pussy is a red line or like later on we're going to get that lollipop like those are those are great moments where she fucking shoots the nail gun into the balloon of the simulation with great effect and joy even and it's something that uh, that makes the blackness of the black mirror less black. Like, like there's a there's a joyful resistance in her, and that those line reads yeah uh, underscore. And I think if we're talking about fun, like she's obviously subjected to horror in a number of ways, but uh, but she wins in the end. And on her way to that win. Uh, she delivers a couple of key lines with a lot of laughs, and I think uh, those two examples are ones that really work for me. I thought I thought she did a great job this episode. Yeah, she can really do it all. Like she got to all of the like darkest pathos stuff in this episode, and also the highest comedy highs of this episode. And as we saw in Palm Springs, she is like really fucking devastatingly funny. Yeah. Like I don't know how you do better than Jesse Plemons and Krista Miliati in in this. Like it is not as good of an episode if it's anyone besides these two. They are really great at this spe- at this specific thing. Yeah, yeah. Her role in this is like not so far away from what she did in Palm Springs too, right? It's like trapped yeah. in a alternate reality that you can't get out of thing. Yeah. Um, if people haven't seen that, go. Go rent that. It's a fucking really good movie. <laughs> they are both like, God, Plemons was born in 88. Miliati was born in 85. Like, we've got so much great work from them in the years ahead. Like, I know. Like, we're going to have a lifetime of awesome roles with them, hopefully. Yeah. And they're already awesome. What's like, up with all these people that are younger than us being way better than us? I know. <laughs> Get used to it. Seems unfair. <laughs> yeah. 
But like, uh, I'm enthusiastic about these two actors, especially. Totally. Good stuff. Well, uh, I think it's about time to toss the episode into the capable hands of our intrepid producer, Robs, 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 Robs. Yeah, so next episode, we are going to get back into the Star Trek book universe. Yeah. uh, With a Star Trek Picard novel. The Star Trek Picard novel is called Dark Veil, and the author is James Swallow. Oh, different author from the previous Star Trek Colin Picard novel that we read. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think uh, I think like the last time I'm going to be enjoying this in audiobook format, and then uh, a couple weeks from now, we're going to be back here to discuss it. It looks like it is a Will Riker, Deanna Troy based book uh, involving their adventures on the Titan. Wow, the USS Titan. Well, way to judge a book by its cover, Adam. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it looks like the the cover of the book is basically like a, a drawn screen grab of the <laughs> Picard season finale. Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to that, and we will leave it with Rob's from here. Thanks, Rob's. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun Podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Go check out his YouTube page and cook yourself up a nice meal for dinner. He's got some spectacular recipes. If you're looking for more Trek, you can go listen to The Greatest Generation, or check out some of our on-season episodes. Uh, We've discussed everything from Discovery Season 1 to Picard Season 1, Lower Decks. There's a lot to discover. You can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. Thanks, Bill! If you haven't seen our Twitch page, you can also subscribe there. Occasionally, Adam and Ben will hop on and play some video games. It's a whole lot of fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.